On this prequel episode, we've got our Room with a View fan poll follow-up, and we're previewing Fifty Shades Freed. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. You noticed in the intro, we didn't mention a Learning Things segment this time, which we have teased several times. Here's the deal. We started working on it, and by we, I mean Katie, and we really... <laughs> I do some some of those segments occasionally, but the 95% of the time, they're Katie. So I wanted to, we, we started working on it, and it started ballooning so much that we thought it was going to be too long for this episode. We, did, we like to keep our prequels fairly short, uh, and we had some other stuff to get to. We had quite a bit of feedback on Room with a View that we wanted to discuss, and we didn't want this episode to get too long. So what we're going to do is we're going to record a separate episode just about this topic. We'll just tease it now. It's it's basically uh, we're going to have a discussion of Fifty Shades and BDSM, yep. a thing that we've been talking about throughout the series, but we're going to have a more in-depth discussion about it, uh, the portrayal of BDSM in Fifty Shades, the problems, all that sort of stuff. We just want to do it its justice uh, as a conversation, uh, and so we didn't want to um, try to like edit stuff down or, or trim it to to fit it into this prequel episode. So we're... The plan is to have that. It will be out for everybody. When I say a bonus episode, it's not going to be a patron exclusive. Bonus yeah, we'll episode. put it out for everyone. This will be on the main feed, uh, but it's going to be a standalone episode um, that'll probably just be titled like Fifty Shades and BDSM or something like that. And the goal is to have that done in the next week or two, two weeks, roughly. Um, so look out for that. Uh, and that was going to be the learning thing segment for this, but it's going to get its own episode. Uh, so you get even more of this film is lit, so shouldn't be too disappointed. Let's go ahead and give a shout out to our lovely patrons. I put up with you because your father and mother were our finest patrons, that's why. We have one new patron this week at the $5 Hugo Award winning level getting access to our bonus content, Minty Cell. So thank you, Minty Cell, for supporting us at $5, becoming a Hugo Award winning patron. And our Academy Award-winning patrons who get a shout-out every week are Matilde, Steve from Arizona, Paul, Kat Insminger, Jeff Niederhofer, Teresa Schwartz, Ian from Wine Country, Just Another Patron, Winchester's Forever, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Youngs, Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Self... Shelby Says Settle in... Oh, there's too many S's, Shelby. <laughs> Shelby says settle in for spooky season with It Calls from the Veil and Monsters and Mayhem. That darn skag, V. Frank, and Alina Starkoff. Thank you all very much for supporting us and continuing to support us at that $15 level. You are all truly the greatest. Let's see what everybody had to say now about A Room with a View. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right. So on Patreon, we had three votes for the movie and two for the book. Steve from Arizona said, In my teen years, the very mumbling of Merchant Ivory caused an eye roll and a bit of disdain as I walked into the focused group action fest of the week. Nowadays, I kind of like some of their movies, and I decided to watch this one for the heck of it. Also because one of my favorite metal songs used samples from this movie. Some observations. One, if Remains of the Day is the most quintessential British movie, is this the most quintessential British romance? 
I don't know the answer to that. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I think you could argue even that Remains of the Day is the most quintessential British romance as it goes unrequited. (laughs) (laughs) Unspoken. Yes. (laughs) You know, that feels even more British, but (laughs) I get your point. Uh, Yeah, it definitely it's definitely up there, I would say. Yeah. Um, And two. Did Maggie Smith ever have a role where she is not the woman trying to reel in rambunctious younger people? That I do not know, because um, I haven't seen Downton Abbey. <laughs> She's also been in other stuff. <laughs> I'm going to assume she does that in But Downton a reference Abbey, that though. one of our other patrons mentioned a little bit later, uh, Hook. Yeah. <laughs> she is the oldest daughter, right? Or no. She's uh, the older, older Wendy. Yeah. 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 She's the older Wendy. She's not really like, but kind of like. Not really, but a little bit. A little like she's bit. like overseeing children at it's the beginning true. of the film. Whatever. She is. And three, and for anyone that likes brooding British men, young Julian Sands or young Daniel Day Lewis. Um, overall, for me, Daniel Day Lewis. I mean, he's definitely got a more prolific catalog. You're more likely to yeah. have experienced um, Daniel Day Lewis than Julian Sands. I think. In this movie specifically, Julian Sands. Well, well yes. <laughs> yes. Because um, I, I, I was looking. I didn't think I had seen Julian Sands in almost anything else. Yeah. Like there was very little other that I saw that or I was like, oh, yeah, that. He was apparently in arachnophobia, but I don't remember him in that. Never seen <laughs> His that. His other big movie, Warlock, I, I've not seen. Uh-uh. Uh, he made a sequel called Warlock the Armageddon. Boxing Hel- Helena. Helena. Uh, Naked Lunch, The Medallion. That's like a Jackie Chan movie, I think. He's probably the villain in that, if I had to guess. Uh, yeah, like most of these other things, like there's very little else that I've seen. There's not any other huge name um, mm-hmm. films on his on this list here uh, that I'm seeing. Whereas uh, Daniel Day Lewis has been in right. a bajillion things. Yeah. Um, anyway, fun episode, and I'm hoping you get some good feedback from your British audience. We shall see. Opens up for nobody, said, Ah ha ha, I had a very weird time with this movie. I watched it half paying attention, and with my general inability to read, for, to read people, it made for an unintentionally upsetting viewing experience. Like, I couldn't understand what I was supposed to be getting out of the story, because I guess I couldn't fathom the appeal of Mr. Mopey Scream from the Trees about Love Guy. For some reason, I couldn't see that she actually liked him, and it just felt like she was getting weird pressure from literally everyone. Hmm. So every advance he made toward her set off my fear response. And by the time she voices that she actually does like him, I was too unnerved by the whole thing. Anyway, I figured everything would make more more sense once I listened to you guys talk about it, and it did, so thanks. I still don't think I'll read the book, though. I'd rather sit in the memory of my very weird, unsettling film experience, knowing I completely misunderstood everything because I wasn't paying attention. That's a lot funnier to me. Fair enough. I will say a couple things. One, I think initially I, I, I he is a little off-putting at first when we're first introduced to him and you don't know like what his whole deal is like he seems a little like what's what's your what's your deal um and and i think this goes back to the thing we talked a lot about in the episode of how and this is the other thing is how him and and um daniel day lewis's character cecil are kind of two sides of the same awkward Mm -hmm. coin 
uh, whereas they're both kind of oblivious in a way where they handle um, they don't seem to uh, take social cues very well. Mm-hmm. Like they, they seem both to not be able to read the room necessarily. Yeah. And again, in, in uh, George's instance, that comes off in sort of endearing like. He's like a manic pixie dream girl, yes. really. Yeah, and where Cecil, Cecil comes off as just like completely obnoxious. But it, it's that similar thing in both. And I think if you're not, if you miss some of the smaller moments with George, that that is where you kind of see like what is beneath the surface of this sort of strange yeah. man. Um, it would be very easy to interpret him in a similar way to Cecil of just being kind of like off-putting mm-hmm. and, and awkward. And so it totally, I would totally get why they would come across yeah. this way. Well, and I think too, like to be really fair, reading uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character in this film comes with like an extra layer of difficulty because she is playing a character who has been trained to be like very buttoned up and like right. not necessarily show her emotions and show what she's thinking. That's true too. So that yes. adds that adds like an extra la- layer of difficulty onto it. That is absolutely true. Yeah. Her her feelings about these two men are not super obvious and on the surface. Yeah. In a way that it would be yeah. So that, yeah, that's a very good point as well. Yeah. And our last comment on Patreon was from Matilde who said, I agree that Forster's writing is underrated and under-discussed, but I have to go with the movie. Helena Bonham Carter is so vivacious and makes for a more intelligent and energetic Lucy than the one on the page. I also found that Julian Sands' George was more sensitive and charming and worked perfectly off of Helena's Lucy. Merchant Ivory movies have a classical romantic quality to them that I really appreciate, but this particular one has the humor, the levity that is not often a scene. It makes for probably their most rewatchable movie. Plus, I never get tired of that first kiss scene. Swoonworthy. There you go. I, I, we have now seen two Merchant Ivory films. Well, because Remains of the Day, I think, also. Yes. Um, and I would say without question, if oh, you're going to ask me which one I would watch again, oh my God, I never would watch the remains. I don't want to say never, but <laughs> would almost never rewatch the remains of the day as, 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 as good of a film as I thought it was this, you know, 10, 15 years from now. Oh yeah. If it was on TV, I might watch, you know what yeah. I mean? Remains of the day. I'm not watching again. I don't think, <laughs> uh, but this, I think I would. So yeah, definitely. And we haven't seen, um, well, we have a mention of one of the other ones at some point. Um, yeah. Howard's end is another one, but yeah. Anyways. On Facebook, we had no votes. No voters. Um, our, well, I think our our voting post got buried this that's, time. That's fine. Um, but I, I did. T- I took a comment from another post because I felt like it, it worked. Was clearly, the feedback. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, it's from Terry, who was the patron, mm-hmm. um, who requested this. Um, she said. Mr. Emerson is a man of the Enlightenment and likely believes, like Rousseau, that, quote, human beings are good by nature, but rendered corrupt by society. Also, we can't forget that Freudian views probably play a role for the Mr. Emerson character. Mr. Emerson recognizes that his son's ennui can be solved with sex, Hmm. and upon meeting Lucy, realizes that she could also benefit from this remedy. So there you go. It also makes a lot of sense that the child raised by a man of the Enlightenment would be constantly questioning his purpose in life while hanging out in trees shouting beauty, yes, joy, absolutely. love. Yes. 
Mr. Emerson is probably my favorite character. He's good and kind for the sake of being good and kind, not not because there will be an eternal punishment or an eternal reward. I absolutely love uh, Dame Maggie's portrayal of Charlotte, too. This movie is perfection. Thank you for covering one of my favorite movies. It was a great birthday present. Well, there you go. I agree with all of those things. And I'm glad we're on the same page. Mr. Emerson is the best (laughs) character. Yeah, I'm glad we uh, had somebody who could bring a little bit more of the like historical context mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, I never and, mentioned enlightenment. enlightenment. I, that was like the word that I was looking for. I don't know why I never mentioned it because it was in the back of my head the whole time. Yeah. Because it's very much yeah. Because uh, this the, the novel and thinkers. yeah is definitely um, like very clearly influenced by the Enlightenment movement. Yes. Um, Yes, a century or so later, but yeah. Yeah. Right? Because Enlightenment was like the late 17th. Well, it started and then it continued. I don't know. I don't know enough about the Enlightenment. But but I mean, then that would make sense for Mr. Emerson, though, because he's older. Yes. Right? Yeah, well, I don't think he would be that old because this isn't no, this no, no, like no, yeah, 19- you're right. This is 1907 not 18 or whatever. Yeah. So um, I don't think any of them would have been alive when the Enlightenment first began. But the, the Enlightenment Fair movement enough. was a continued thing. And people were studying the Enlightenment at this time and, and were yeah. students of the Enlightenment. Uh, and that sort of thing, um, which is what Emerson definitely, Mr. Emerson definitely would be. Um, it was when it was becoming in vogue and I think popular around the mm-hmm. world as, you know, that sort of thing. All right. On Twitter, we had three votes for the movie, two for the book, and three listeners who couldn't decide. Kelly Napier said, Your first movie thought was for Maggie Smith was Harry Potter. My first movie thought for Maggie Smith is Sister Act. The sassiest mother superior since The Sound of Music. There you go. Uh, I have seen Sister Act like when I was a little kid and yeah. not since then. Yeah, I don't think I've seen it since I was a little kid. I don't even remember she was in that, honestly. Um, and our other comment, uh, Shelby says, It Calls from the Veil is out now, said, More of an aside, but I think the earliest role I've seen Helena Bonham Carter in was when she was Ophelia in Hamlet which is a version of Hamlet that I have not seen. I have not either. I'm the, trying to see if that's the a Mel Gibson Hamlet. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know he did Hamlet. Uh, Cause I had read. So in the notes, they said this was her feature film debut. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if, if that, um, if Hamlet was before this or if it was not, or after this, or if it was not considered a feature film, you know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not sure if it was, or for whatever reason, like if it was like a TV special or something. Uh, yeah, and it was just after this. It was 1990 was mm. that version. And this was 87, 86. No, 85. So <laughs> you, you got go. there in the end. <laughs> yeah. Her first, this is her first feature film role. It's her second role on IMDb. Her first role was a TV movie called A Pattern of Roses. Hmm. So. Never heard of that. Nope. Anyway, there you go. On Instagram, we had three votes for the movie and one for the book. Jedi-Anne said, Although I appreciated the book, particularly George's full speech to Lucy that you highlighted in your episode, it's only in watching the movie where I can appreciate the wide shots of poppies and fields of grass, the sounds of Puccini, and a very non-sexual scene of naked men playing like boys in a local swimming hole. 
Plus, Rupert Graves as Freddy has a face that I'm not sure I want to punch or devour, but he's fucking adorable to watch, and every time he appeared on screen, I giggled like a preteen. We didn't mention this in the episode, but we constantly joked about how he looks like a TikTok fuckboy yes, throughout does. the entire... Because yeah. his hair that in particular. Hair. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't mention it in the episode, but we talked during the movie, we kept making jokes about that. Which I think it ties very much into. I can't decide if I want to punch him or devour. It's yeah. like right in that wheelhouse of TikTok fuckboy. <laughs> Props to the movie for making a perfect costume drama that reduced me to sighs and swoons. There you go. And we have a comment from Goodreads. Uh, one listener who couldn't decide. Uh, Miko said... I'd never touch a genre like this purely on my own, but as a classic, I thought A Room with a View would be a good introductory story to this corner of fiction. You gotta at least try a genre to have an opinion, right? I mean, seems... Yeah, seems fair. Seems fair. However, my summary of both the book and the movie is the same. It's fine. It's not that I hated either version, and I can see why others love the story, the movie in particular, but I just generally can't bring myself to care about interpersonal drama or romance. Maybe I lack some emotional intelligence, but I couldn't connect with the characters or really enjoy them. For example, I understand that Cecil and Charlotte are made to be deliberately annoying, but they still annoy me and that I don't enjoy. <laughs> Mr. Emerson is great, though, and Denholm Elliott was clearly robbed of the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, even though I've not seen The Competitors. I agree. I, again, I don't know who The Competitors <laughs> were in 1985 or whatever, but I agree. In addition to the casting, the movie was also otherwise well-made, feeling shorter than it actually was, but I have a hard time putting my finger on why. My guess is that it's mainly due to not including Lucy's inner thoughts, which speeds up some of the long-winded sections of the book, though, si though simultaneously removes some of the interesting bits. I'd probably be leaning towards liking the book more had I read it in original English, but for now, I have to split my vote and admit I cannot choose either the book or the movie is better. Side note, I found it extremely interesting that Forster wrote an epilogue titled A View Without a Room 50 years later that now appears in some editions of the book, mine included. I didn't know this. Yeah, I didn't find this when yeah, I was I guess looking your up book stuff. Didn't have yeah. This. Yeah. No, it didn't. I don't think I've seen anything quite like that before, and I don't know if I like or dislike the author going, and then the world wars came and messed everything <laughs> up, following a romance novel so long after it was written. That's um, funny, though, because like my very last, one of my very last notes in my book notes is literally, too bad George is about to be drafted yeah, into, into the world Great War. War. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it, I think it's an interesting choice, and I think it, you know, I would have to read it without before I can't, you know, pass judgment on it without yeah. knowing what the story is. But I definitely think it's an interesting thing to do. Yeah, it could be, it could be very. I, I, I based on you know what what you've said of Ian Forster and and stuff. I I ha have a feeling he would have handled it in a way that was at, at the very least interesting. Yeah, for sure. Yet another side note. About the people taking away the murder victim, they are wearing a buffa. Buffa? 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 B-U-F-F-A. Yeah. Uh, typical to some Catholic penitents and are members of the Venerable... <laughs> Venerabila! Fraternita! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it's so much Italian. Lots of Italian. Uh, Della Misericordia de Friends. We're going to go with that. 
as Wikipedia puts it, uh, quote, the confraternity of the misericordia. 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 Well, because it's like misery and then, yeah, interesting. Um, was founded in Florence around 1240 for the purpose of assisting the ill, the imprisoned, and burying the dead. Hmm. And their voluntary work continues to this day, though the hoods and carriages have given way to high-vis vests and ambulances. I went and looked this this up when I saw this because I wanted to uh, see if I could find any more information. And apparently, I thought this was super interesting, on the Wikipedia page it says, its lay members called brothers still continue to provide part of the infirm transport service in the city, as they mentioned was saying, you know, they're using ambulances and stuff. Um, and apparently until April 2006, they still wore the traditional black dress, uh, which dated back to the 17th century. But today, uh, reduced, they only use that in, like, uh, ceremonies, basically. Mm. Um, and because they use high-vis vests because of, like, road safety yeah. and stuff. But I thought 2000, <laughs> I can't imagine being in Florence in 2005 and and somebody, you know, trips and falls and busts their, like, their, their forehead open on the steps of the <laughs> Trevi, well, not Trevi Fountain, but whatever, some fountain in the... Uh, in Florence and these guys in like execution they're not executioner costumes but you know they look, look like executioner to, to a layman audience who yeah. doesn't know any better they look like uh, executioner outfits comes rolling up and is like we'll help you I'm like oh my god like if that was you you would assume you were dead <laughs> like, I, you're... yes if it was me who was injured I would immediately have a panic attack yeah yeah <laughs> Um, Miko also said their headquarters are less than a mile from the location of the stabbing. Well, there you in the go. Movie. So that's interesting. Yeah. And thank you, Miko, for coming through for yes, us on that information. Yes, somebody did come through. We asked and we I, were answered. I did not even know what to Google. That's what I think. I was like, oh, I don't even know what to Google for this. Uh, but it sounds like potentially, I would guess that this listener is potentially uh, European, maybe, um, based on the fact that they said, if I could have read it in its original English, I'm mm -hmm. assuming they're. Yeah, maybe, maybe somewhere, maybe not European. And Miko, to me, sounds maybe somewhere Europe, Europe, Europey. Um, so my guess is that maybe they recognized the outfit mm. and knew what it was called or something, or had like just had yeah. an easier time had searching for more it than, background knowledge. Than yeah, they did. than we yeah. did as Americans uh, potentially. <laughs> so uh, yeah, thank you for looking that up and giving us that info. It was very interesting. And so our winner this week was the movie. With nine votes to the book's five, plus four listeners who couldn't decide. There you go. Thank you all so much for all that feedback. Very delightful. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I'm glad it sounded like a lot of people agreed with what a lot of what we had to say. Katie, as we mentioned earlier, we don't have a Learn Anything segment. It's going to be its own standalone episode here in a week or two. But we do have some book facts about Fifty Shades Freed. Good morning, wife. Good morning, husband. Don't ask me. Mrs. Gray, look out your window. What you know is true. I'm taking you away for the weekend. I just can't believe this is my life that I get to live with you. Oh, I love your precious heart. It meant nothing to me before you. Anna Gray's office. We wanted to welcome the new fiction editor. We could live. I bought it for us. I should have asked you first. For a years. I love it. Oh my God. Christian. This is Gio Matteo, the architect. This location is perfect. 
I'm going to build you a fabulous house. Please stop speaking to my husband as if I weren't here. Anna. <laughs> you may call me Mrs. Gray. Fifty Shades Freed is a 2012 novel by British author E.L. James, also known as Erica around here. It is the third and final installment of the erotic romance Fifty Shades trilogy. Um, now, once again, I don't want to do a rehash of the entire backstory of the Fifty Shades trilogy because they were all kind of written at once. Yes. So if you have not been listening along up to this point and you're curious about that, I recommend that you go back and listen to our prequel episodes for Fifty Shades of Grey and Fifty Shades Darker. Mostly Fifty Shades of Grey because that's, yeah, that's where, where I, I talked most, more yeah. about the backstory. Yeah. But we did talk about it a little bit in the prequel for Fifty Shades Darker. Uh, Fifty Shades Freed entered the New York Times bestseller list at number three. And in the UK, the novel sold over two million copies. Mm -hmm. There are two front cover versions of oh. this book. The handcuffs version is what we have. Yeah. And there's one. You with mean that it isn't a book tie in cover? No, that's not a movie tie-in cover. That's what I mean. Yeah, Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's two versions that are not movie tie-ins. Correct. Because there's probably several, right. if not yes. more, like, movie tie-in ones. Yeah, like, okay. the, the trade paperbacks, like, right. original like original. Just imprints. wanted to clarify. Yeah. yeah, the original imprints, there are two different gotcha. covers. Okay, sorry. Uh, so there's handcuffs, handcuffs is yes. what we have, and then there's one with a silver skeleton key on a necklace chain. Oh. Now, to be honest, I did not care enough to spend a bunch of time looking too hard into this. But I'm pretty sure that the key is the British cover and the handcuffs are the American cover. Um, I am basing this on the fact that the different publishers are uh, the British and American publishers. That would make sense. So. Yeah. But I was I because I kept seeing the the cover with the key on it. And I was like, I've never seen that before. Yeah, I've only ever seen the handcuffs. I've only seen ones, the handcuffs. Which definitely makes me think that, yeah, the yeah. handcuffs is the American. I guess one. if you collect them, then you, maybe you unlock the handcuffs. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. What's the skeleton? The, the handcuffs on the thing, I swear, are just like the the cheap like. The, yeah. I'd have to look at them. They look like they're the ones that you get like at you know the dollar store that are like you yeah. Just, you don't need a key. You can they're just like, open them. You get them like from Spencer's or yeah, whatever. Or Spence, yeah, yeah, like, like, like your the, fuzzy handcuffs. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my final note here: um, Erica followed the Fifty Shades trilogy with Gray Fifty Shades, as told by Christian. A pretty self-explanatory title. In 2015, widely panned by critics, beloved yep. by fans of the original series. Yes. And then she followed that up with a, a new series, which we yes. haven't mentioned, called The Mister. The Mister. Which is apparently also the film rights were bought panned. recently. Oh, I heard no. the film rights were bought. No. I mean, they can make these movies so cheap. I mean, these movies, they made for like $50 million each and made hundreds of millions of dollars. I don't know, and I think the Mister was a bestseller, so it wouldn't surprise me if they end up making it, and we have to talk about it one day. All right. Speaking of film rights, let's talk a little bit about Fifty Shades Freed, the film. I'll pick you up a five. I might not be done by then. We're being followed. Jack, what do you want? 
So you want to play? Yes, sir. I made a vow to love you faithfully, forsaking all others. Did you sleep with her? To comfort you in times of need and to keep you safe for as long as we both shall live. Fifty Shades Freed is a 2018 film directed by James Foley, known for Glengarry, Glen Ross, uh, House of Cards, After Dark, My Sweet, and Fifty Shades Darker, and written by Niall Leonard, the husband of E.L. James. <laughs> known for being the husband of E.L. James. Uh, the film He's also done other stuff, and I don't want to sell him too short, but uh, the films, I've uh, written a bunch of TV, British TV shows. The film stars Dakota Johnson, Jamie Dornan, Erica Johnson, Rita Ora, Luke Grimes, Victor Rasek, Jennifer L., Max Martini, and Marsha Gay Harden. This is interesting. I have a note about it later. Uh, Kim Bassinger, and I, I didn't see the, or I didn't know this when I was looking at the, the cast list. Uh, Kim Basinger slash Elena is only in the unrated version. Interesting. And I was like, how did they pull that off? It felt like a little bit of a spoiler because I feel yeah, like I feel like I, she should I was be thinking, integral. I was thinking she would be in more of this. Well, I have a little bit more information later. Not a lot more, but a little bit more uh, in just a minute here. I haven't started the book yet. I'm I'm like thirty pages I'm in. Like working. I'm, I will I'm say psyching myself up to the, it. When I say it, it's, I'm like thirty or forty pages in. It's the best beginning of any of the books so far. It's not good. And it's still infuriating, but like it, it, at least I'm the le- I'm the least annoyed with it. Well, that's not true. I guess the first book I was like, whatever, because I didn't know what, what yeah. was coming compared to the second book. This beginning is way better. I'll just say that small miracles. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the film has an 11 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, a 31 on Metacritic and a 4.5 on IMDb for comparison. Fifty Shades Darker also had an 11% on Metacritic or Rotten Tomatoes, had a 33 on Metacritic and a 4.5 on IMDb. So almost identical across the board Mm. to Darker. The first film had a 25 on Rotten Tomatoes, a 46 on Metacritic, but a 4.1 on IMDb. Interesting. I think I have discovered what has happened here. Okay. This is my guess. I haven't actually followed this up with any extra research to make sure. It's just just a hypothesis. My guess is that the first film is the best film by far. So the critics gave it. Yes. The, 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 high, it's, the it's why it's got were, double were the score. Yeah, it. they were kinder to it. It's got double the score of um, both of the sequels. My guess for why the IMDb scores are slightly higher for two and three is because people who, who, who hate watched the first one or just wanted to dunk on it because, hey, this is a thing stupid women like on the internet. Yeah. Gave it a bunch of one-star reviews. Like, yeah. it was popular to, like, dunk on the first one, but people, about a lot of people didn't continue with the right. series. Why would you? Who cares? So so the, the scores averaged out a little bit more uh-huh. on the later, like, on two and three, mm. and, and, and one, I bet, was brought down by, like, trolls, basically. Interesting. Would That's, be my yeah. guess. I don't know. I haven't looked. Like, I think it would be fairly easy to confirm by just looking at the breakdown of the reviews on IMDb, because you can see, like, how many one-star reviews there are. Yeah. I bet there's just a lot more one-star reviews 
for the first one than there are for the second two. And there are also probably just way more reviews, period, for the first one. That's than there also for the true. Second one. Yeah. Um, again, that's my guess as to why the IMDb scores do not sort of reflect what the critical scores did. Um, again, just a hypothesis. I have not done the research to confirm that. Uh, the film made $372 million against a budget of $55 million, which that's the exact same budget as Fifty Shades Darker. And these shot simultaneously. I could not confirm if that budget was for if that budget was for both of the movies. That's crazy. Hot damn. <laughs> especially because <laughs> they made the 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 profit it reported it was separate for sure because it was yeah. two different numbers. But the budget number was the same for both. And I don't now. Obviously, you couldn't. I would be really surprised if you could make two of these movies for fifty five million. But it's maybe possible. Um, they were they the the you say they saved a lot of money on production on filming by filming them back to back. And as I mentioned, uh, that's my next note. Uh, these films were shot simultaneously, basically, um, or back to back, whatever, all in one big chunk. The second and third films were. So I actually don't have a lot of production notes. Any of the production notes I would have for this are basically identical yeah. to the ones from Fifty Shades Darker. Um, but I do have some uh, IMDb trivia that I thought was interesting that I wanted to talk about. Uh, one, uh, some scenes that were filmed in Nice, France were, um, France were, uh, <laughs> I said Nice, right. And then, so I leaned into France and then, <laughs> but I didn't say it right. So it just, I ended somewhere in the middle and then I said France and it sounded super anyways, uh, apparently happened at the same time as the Nice terror attacks in July, 2016. There you go. Hmm. Um, this is super weird. Some of the filming, and I don't know what filming, was supposedly done at Canadian singer-songwriter Sarah McLaughlin's home. <laughs> what? Which is amazing. I don't know what that would be or why, but I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is the only film in the franchise to not get nominated uh, for Worst Picture at the Razzies. Though it got, it did receive other nominations. Was there was there other stuff that year that was just so much worse? <laughs> apparently. <laughs> apparently. Also, the Razzies never picked the actual worst movies. We, you, we've, we, I've talked about the Razzies before. They just, yeah. they, they're stupid. Funny Easter egg. Uh, this is an author. This is the only time I believe she shows up in the movies. She makes her appearance in the third one here. Or she might have been in the first one somewhere, but I don't remember talking about it at least. Um, when Christian shows up at Anna's office to berate her for not using Gray as her last name on her email, oh which is amazing. And I can't wait. I, I included that because as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst. Um, uh, just as he gets out of the elevator and is on his way to the receptionist, E.L. James walks by. So look out. Uh, Fantastic. When Gray is uh, going to berate Anna for not using his t last name on her email. <laughs> Look out for E.L. James. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, Kim Basinger was set to return as series antagonist Elena Lincoln, Elena Lincoln, uh, and she was apparently even in some of the trailers, but her scenes ultimately ended up being cut from the final edit. Um, and as of August 2022, when these notes are written, uh, this remains Basinger's last acting acting appearance in a live action film, and she was hmm. completely cut from it, but she is apparently in some of the unrated Interesting. I, yeah, I, I, I think what happened, she, tr as we mentioned in Darker, she was truly horrible. Like, yeah, she was like, pretty bad. Like, again, I, I think the other actors all do okay in these. Are okay, okay, bordering on good, um, and and even above good on for some of them. Um, but she, I thought, was like truly terrible in Darker, and I'm wondering if 
she was supposed to have more and they were like it's it's we can't it's it's not good like they got a lot of saw the reviews and saw you know how how much people were uh, kind of making fun of how terrible she was in this and maybe that is why they cut her but it also makes me question or wonder how integral of a role Elena yeah. well if she can just be cut from the narrative I can't I can't imagine that she has that big of a role in this I guess we'll find out <sighs> Nothing, I have not, where I'm at in the book, I've not gotten to any yeah. plot yet. And we all know how E.L. James feels about major changes to yep. her story, so. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so, finally, getting to some reviews of the film. Writing for Variety, Guy Lodge was critical of the film, saying, quote, Indeed, a sex-free PG-13 version of Freed could be cut without shedding a second of narrative coherence, such as it is. One could ask what the point of that would be. Those similar queries might be leveled at the film as it stands. Hmm. <laughs> queries, not queries. Uh, <laughs> which, fair enough. Uh, Rolling Stone's Peter Travers gave the film zero out of four stars, Ooh. stating, quote, With this last entry, we have officially hit the bottom of the barrel. Whips, chains, butt plugs, and nipple clips are nothing. Nipple clamps, but um, I mean, I guess <laughs> technically there could be nipple clips, whatever, but generally, whatever, um, are nothing compared to the sheer torture of watching this movie. Also, butt plugs aren't torture. What? Get, get your fucking, like, this guy doesn't get it together, get it together Peter Travers. <laughs> and finally, uh, Jeanette uh, Katsoulis, writing for the New York Times, found, to, found the film to be significantly inferior to Kim Basinger's Nine and a Half Weeks, stating, quote, layering a damp squib thriller subplot beneath what appears to be an ad campaign for the 1% lifestyle. The returning director and screenwriter tests the newly married... The newly married couple with, and this is my insert here because I was cutting some spoilers out, a series of unfortunate events and uh, whatever that's called. What is it called when they're sick and sick, whatever. Um, uh, <laughs> test the newly married couple with a series of unfortunate events, but these narrative fragments lazily tossed together alongside a neglected supporting cast are no more than a flimsy causeway connecting bonking sessions. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Uh, people did not like it. Not fans. Uh, the critics were not uh, not fans. There was, however, one positive review that I was able to find. IndieWire reviewer Man Manuela Lazik gave the film three out of four stars, saying, quote, Finally, the Fifty Shades phenomenon has yielded a disarming comedy that makes this ridiculous material fun to watch. End quote. Now, I would say, mm -hmm. I would argue that the first two also did that, but... <laughs> There's one positive review for you. Uh, we want to remind you, you can support us on Patreon by heading over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for a couple bucks, get access to stuff. You can also do us a giant favor by following, following us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads. Uh, follow us there. Uh, just search for this film is lit. Interact. We love it. Uh, Katie, where can people watch Fifty Shades? No. Yeah. Fifty Shades Free. <laughs> forgot what we were talking about yeah 50 shades for you well as always you can check with your local library or a local video rental store if you still have one of those uh if not you can rent this for around three to four bucks from apple tv youtube redbox direct tv amc theaters on demand or spectrum tv this is also free on tubi oh is it yeah 100 percent okay. Um, I don't know. Or yet. watch it free on Tubi. Because when you Google it, it comes up. It's on Tubi, and I clicked on it, and it's definitely there. Cool. Uh, I assume it's not the unrated cut. It's probably the normal. Yeah, 
Uh, all three of them are on Tubi, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's a recent development or I think we might have mentioned. Anyways, because it's also they were on Roku or something. Yeah, the rest of the stuff been gets on... like tossed around so Anyways, much. I don't know. Uh, but Tubi is free. Uh, and if you're on a computer browser, yeah. you can literally just go to it and watch anything you want. There's commercials. But um, so, yeah, you can watch it for free on Tubi. There you go. I'm so excited to be done with this series. Oh, me too. God So damn. excited. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, and I am excited to do our special episode. Uh, yeah. Uh, discussing Fifty Shades and BDSM, but uh, I am I'm I, more so than being done with the series. I'm ready to be done reading them. Yes, <laughs> so ready to be done I, reading them. I, yeah, I'm very ready to not have another Fifty Shades novel looming over my head, sitting in my nightstand, ta- <laughs> just, just haunting my dreams. At me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's that. Come back in one week's time. We're talking about Fifty Shades Freed. Until that time, guys, gals, non-binary pals, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being awesome. awesome.